Chapter 3 of The Red Cross Girls with Pershing to Victory by Margaret Vandercook. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Toward Germany. Happy is he who takes the open road from rosy sunbursts till the stars ascend. Light is his heart, though heavy be his load, if love but waits him at his journey's end. The two Red Cross nurses, Theodosia Thompson and Ruth Carroll, were standing together at the edge of a bleak field in the dawn of a mid-November morning. Their companion was a young American physician. What an extraordinary quotation under the present circumstances, Thea. But then, since you are a bundle of contradictions, I presume you suggest that love will await us at our journey's end when you really mean hate. I wonder to what extent the Germans will hate us and how difficult life will be among them when we occupy their cities on the Rhine. Ruth Carroll, who had begun her speech as an answer to the other girl, now concluded it by turning her gaze upon Dr. Hugh Raymond, who made no effort at the moment to answer so unanswerable a question. Oh, I was not thinking of the entrance of our American troops into Germany, but into Belgium and the little devastated French villages which have not seen a friendly face in over four years, Theodosia Thompson replied. Our soldiers must first pass through the rescued towns. But actually, Ruth, I was not thinking deeply at all. With the knowledge that we were soon to take the open road, the verse came into my mind. Please don't always be so matter-of-fact. Possibly the two girls were talking because it is so difficult for girls to remain silent for any length of time, even under the most amazing conditions. At this moment, peering steadfastly through the gray light of the approaching day with Dr. Raymond beside them, they were beholding one of the greatest spectacles in human history, the first movement of the American Army of Occupation toward the Rhine. In line with the vision of the three watchers at this instant, khaki-clad figures were marching slowly forward with their faces turned toward the east. Behind them, down the long road, ammunition and supply trains were lumbering. Cannons and big guns were groaning their way onward as in time of war. But although it was not war, but the vanguard of peace, nevertheless the American soldiers were prepared for war, should the armistice be ended at any moment. Overhead, observation balloons were floating, which were to move more rapidly than the army and form a part of the advance guard. We're scheduled to enter Verton sometime tomorrow, Miss Thompson. Verton is the first town across the Belgian border, then Brie and Longwy, and then the little duchy of Luxembourg. It is a great trek, and I am glad to be allowed to join it. Yet somehow I wish we were sending our nurses in dirigibles so as to make the journey more quickly and safely. We have suffered so much from German treachery in the past that I can't quite trust them on this march. Yet personally, I wish I could have gone with the soldiers. The young American doctor spoke slowly and solemnly. He was a tall, slender fellow with sandy hair and a rather finely cut face, a little Roman in type. His manner was also slightly dictatorial, as if he were a much older and wiser person than his feminine audience, although he was scarcely twenty-five. Theodosia Thompson paid no attention to his remarks, although he seemed to be addressing her. However, Ruth Carroll listened as interestedly as anyone could have desired. Dr. Raymond had not been as friendly with the Red Cross nurses at the Chateau Thierry Hospital as one might naturally have expected, considering the fact that they had worked and dreamed and prayed under the same roof during the last thrilling months before the close of the war. But he was supposed not to care for women or girls, either because he was too shy or because he suffered from an undue sense of superiority. Notwithstanding, he apparently made a mild exception in favor of Ruth Carroll, although for her intimate friend and companion, Thea Thompson, 
Ordinarily he had to make an effort to conceal his dislike. Over the French country this morning, the snow of a few days before had hardened and been beaten down into a frost-covered layer of mud, yet the wind had become a little quieter and not so piercingly cold. Don't you think we had best go back to the hospital in a few moments, Thea? Ruth at this instant inquired. There are still preparations for us to make before our Red Cross unit takes its place on the line of march. As a matter of fact, I don't think I slept three hours last night, and neither Dr. Clark nor Mrs. Clark made a pretense of going to bed. Thea linked her arm in Ruth's. The young physician who was their companion wore a curious, rapt expression. He was still gazing after the moving army and seemed not to have heard. Goodbye, Dr. Raymond. Thea made a little curtsy that was unexpectedly graceful. Thank you for suggesting to Ruth that she see the first breaking of camp of the American Army of Occupation. I know you had not intended that I accompany you, yet thank you just the same. Never so long as I live shall I forget this daybreak in France. Why, it is as if an old world had ended on the 11th of November and a new one was beginning today. Besides, who knows what experiences may lie ahead, or romances, Dr. Raymond. You see, now the war has ended, perhaps even you may wake up to other interesting facts in life besides professional ones. With an odd, challenging expression, Thea Thompson watched the young doctor's face, expecting him at least to change color or show some sign of annoyance. However, as he was a good deal taller than she, he merely looked over her head and toward Ruth Carroll. If you will forgive me, Miss Carroll, I won't return with you just this minute. I have nothing very special to look after, and I want to see as much of this first movement of our army as possible. Afterwards, our Red Cross motors and ambulances will probably have to keep in the rear. Then the two girls moved away toward the Red Cross Hospital, choosing the route along a path near the edge of the road so as not to be in the way of the oncoming trucks. I do wish you would try not to talk personalities on a morning like this, Thea dear, Ruth urged gently, and particularly not to Dr. Raymond. I have told you it makes him uncomfortable. He is really not aware that there is a woman or a girl in the world in any personal fashion. I am sure the very word romance irritates him. I presume that is why you used it. Don't get into mischief now that the war is over, Thea, because you may have less hard work when you have been so good all the past year. I feel it specially because I know you did not naturally care for nursing and only began it at first in order to come to France with me. Still, you have been very successful and perhaps may wish to keep on with nursing as a profession after we return home. A little sound that was neither assent nor refusal followed. Then Thea Thompson shook her head. Let's don't discuss either the past or the future just now, Ruth. Thank heaven the present is sufficient. I've an idea that once our soldiers reach the Rhine and settle down, they will be needing entertainment as much as they will need nursing. Personally, I intend to have a little relief from this long strain and have as good a time as possible. Oh, don't look so shocked, Ruth. I don't intend to do anything especially wicked. Play a little, perhaps, and be a little frivolous. You and I are certainly contrasts as Kentucky girls. You know there may be a chance that we may run across a little princess somewhere in hiding and that she may fall in love with one of our American soldiers. American soldiers are greater than kings these days and princesses are in need of protection. So perhaps I may be a looker-on at someone else's romance and not have one of my own. I have been a looker-on at many things I have wished for myself before today, Ruth, as you know. But please let us hurry. I promised Mrs. Clark we would not stay away from the hospital but a short time, and I wish to keep my word. She does not like me particularly, or at least I seem to puzzle her. 
Ruth Carroll shook her head. The girl beside her had not had a happy childhood or young girlhood, so perhaps it was natural that she should wish, as she expressed it, just to have a good time. You puzzle a good many people, Thea, including me, and sometimes you even puzzle yourself. But you know I have always believed the good would win in the end. Don't spoil your nursing record. We are very fortunate to have been chosen to form a part of the Red Cross unit to follow the army. At this moment, the gray November clouds parted and a pale rose appeared in the sky. The two girls were reaching the neighborhood of the Red Cross Hospital. Drawn up nearby were half a dozen Red Cross ambulances, an equal number of closed cars and several large trucks for carrying medical supplies. Moving about and directing the hospital orderlies was Dr. David Clark, the surgeon in command of the hospital. He had been ordered to take charge of the Red Cross unit, who were to follow the division of American troops from the neighborhood of Chateau Thierry to the Rhine to assist in policing Germany. With him at the moment, and aiding in a hundred small ways, was his wife, Sonia Clark. As the two nurses approached and Dr. Clark caught sight of them, he frowned with disapproval and surprise. At the instant, it seemed impossible to guess what two of his nurses could be doing off-duty at daybreak on this morning of all mornings. Sonia understood and nodded sympathetically. You have been to see our troops break camp and start for Germany. I remember you asked permission. I envy you girls the experience, although we shall probably see many extraordinary sights before this day is over. We shall leave in a few hours. Naturally, it will not take long for us in motor cars to catch up with the soldiers who are traveling afoot. You will be ready. I hope the sky at present is a good omen of the future and Sonia pointed to the rose light overhead. Later in the day, the Red Cross unit from the hospital in the neighborhood of Chateau Thierry took its place in the rear of the line of march of the American Army of Occupation toward Germany. By this time, the sun was shining and the roads had become comparatively clear. Hospital supplies had been sent on ahead with a group of hospital orderlies, Dr. Clark and a corps of his physicians following soon after. In a later automobile, Mrs. Clark had with her half a dozen Red Cross nurses, and in a second, Miss Blackstone, the former superintendent of the hospital, an equal number. Also, there was a third automobile filled with physicians and orderlies who were to keep as close to the two other cars as circumstances allowed. Across no man's land on this November morning, from the northern end of France to the southern, were passing the victorious Allied armies, 300,000 American troops led by Persian to victory and an equal or greater number of French and British. In the car with Sonia, the American girls had but little to say to one another during the first part of their journey. Not only was the land before them desolate beyond description, but filled with tragic memories. Early in the afternoon, reaching the edge of a little French town, the Red Cross automobile stopped. The occupants were in no great hurry to move forward. In advance, the cavalry had swept on to prepare the way, but the infantry was going ahead slowly and would encamp for the night. This division of the Red Cross intended keeping in the background so that in case the men became ill, they could drop out and be overtaken by nurses and physicians. The girls were glad of the rest and also extraordinarily hungry, having spent the greater part of the night and every moment since daylight in preparation for the advance. Their three cars had stopped in front of a small farmhouse on the outskirts of the town. Approaching the house, Sonia and Dr. Raymond believed it to be empty. The blinds were closed, the pathway to the front door untrodden, yet it had once been a gay little house of French gray with bright blue shutters. A knock at the door and both Sonia and the young physician thought they heard scurrying noises inside. 
yet knocking again there was no reply. Shall I try pushing the little front door open, Mrs. Clark? It is pretty cold eating outside. I can't quite understand the situation. The French people know we are their friends. They have been told to expect nothing but kindness and consideration from us. Do look, already the French civilians are coming out from the village to welcome us. Our little house is surely uninhabited, or it would not be so inhospitable. Following Dr. Raymond's suggestion, Sonia turned. Standing not far away in a group were the six Red Cross nurses for whom she felt especially responsible. Nona Davis and Mildred Thornton, the two girls who were her intimate and devoted friends and who had made exceptional sacrifices to remain in Europe now that the war was ended. There were also the two comparatively new nurses, Ruth Carroll and Theodosia Thompson, and Bianca Zoli. The sixth girl was the Red Cross nurse Nora Jameson, who had arrived so late at the hospital. Nevertheless, she had been chosen by Dr. Clark to form a member of his Red Cross unit who were to follow the army of occupation. Beyond them was another group of nurses and physicians. To Sonia's surprise, she saw approaching at this moment from the little French town close by between fifty and a hundred persons. Some of them were old men and women hobbling along on sticks, their faces gaunt and haggard with past suffering, but shining now with happiness. A dozen or more little French girls were marching abreast, one of them carrying a small American flag, another a French. Both flags were evidently homemade and must have been carefully hidden from the Germans during their long occupancy of the French village. With them were five or six American soldiers who had been taken prisoners by the Germans and were now being allowed to rejoin their own comrades. We haven't a great deal of food, I know, Sonia began impulsively. But don't you think, Dr. Raymond, we might ask the friends who have come to welcome us and who seem hungriest to share our food? A great quantity of supplies are to follow us, and we will probably wait for a few days somewhere along the line of march. Dr. Clark told me he wanted us to be prepared to care for the wounded American soldiers we meet along the way, soldiers who have been imprisoned in Germany and must have suffered untold tortures from improper treatment. Then, if any of our own soldiers are taken ill along the route of march, Dr. Clark is to see they are left in a comfortable hospital with the necessary supplies, and it may be we shall be delayed to look after them. Forgetting her effort to enter the little house, Sonia at this instant moved away from Dr. Raymond to rejoin the other Red Cross nurses. In French fashion, some of the old peasants were kissing the hands of their allies. Miss Blackstone and a physician had already unwound a dirty bandage from the arm of an American soldier and were examining his wound. Sonia had no desire to be left out of the little crowd of French and American friends. Within fifteen minutes, however, she had again returned to the little house. This time she was accompanied by an old French peasant woman to whom she had explained the situation, inquiring if the farmhouse was in truth uninhabited. At present it was the Frenchwoman who hammered, not gently, but with the utmost firmness, upon the closed door. It may not be possible, madame, that we enter in at the front door, she explained. It is my impression that La Petite Louisa has never once unfastened this door since she opened it to the German soldiers who afterwards took away her mother and older sister. She has been here ever since all alone, as her father and brother were, of course, with the army. La Petite Louisa has since that time been distraught, not, you understand exactly in her right senses, but harmless. It is not that her French neighbors have neglected her. I have myself tried to take her home to be with me, but always she comes back to the little gray house. 
the old peasant shrugged her shoulders as she continued banging on the door and talking at the same time there have been so many things to endure one more forsaken half-starved child what would you do her family was not well known in our village they had moved here from paris a short time before the war and were said to have been wealthy people who had fallen into misfortune so after a time it may not seem kind but life has been too hard some of the days even for kindness so finally we left the little girl alone neighbors have given her food when there was food to give even a few of the enemy soldiers have sometimes tried to make friends and persuade her to eat but always she would rush away from them with a great fear not altogether sure of what the old french peasant was trying to make plain to her yet convinced enough of the tragedy of the story sonya laid her hand on the old woman's arm don't you think we had best not frighten the little girl then by trying to enter her house someone else in the village i feel sure will offer us hospitality and yet something should be done for the little girl now the war is past she must be made to understand she need not be afraid sonya expostulated however the french woman continued knocking she also had been calling out in french reassuring the little girl inside pleading with her la petite louisa and now sonya heard footsteps drawing near the closed door the next moment the door partly opened disclosing the most pathetic child's figure she had ever seen the little girl was perhaps twelve years old and did not look like the usual french child for though her hair was coal-black her eyes were a violet blue fringed by the blackest lashes her skin almost an unearthly pallor in spite of her look of hunger she was clean and not only scrupulously but exquisitely dressed in a little silk and serge frock made with care and taste the child's eyes were what held sonya however they were at once so terrified and so sad looking past the two women at the crowd outside she would have fallen except that sonya's arm went swiftly around her while she tried to explain that they were friends afterwards sonya and the red cross nurses discovered that the little house was furnished very differently from the ordinary french farmhouse with possessions which must have come from some handsomer home in the dining room they ate their luncheon on a french oak table with beautiful carved feet and found that the sideboard and chairs were also of handsome french oak the little room soon became crowded not only with the red cross girls and physicians but with a number of the french people who came in to assist in the celebration beyond gifts of chocolate and bread they refused to accept other food explaining that the portion of the american army which had passed through their village earlier in the day had given them supplies yet the little french girl in whose home the celebration was taking place would neither eat nor speak to her french acquaintances or to the strange americans sonya and miss blackstone confided to each other their impression that the little girl was probably unable to speak fright and exhaustion having oftentimes this effect upon highly nervous temperaments however in the midst of the luncheon suddenly the little french girl slipped over beside the new red cross nurse nora jamison and took tight hold of her hand she even allowed her to tempt her into eating small morsels of food by accident the new nurse was sitting next to sonya clark and sonya turned to her mystified by the little french girl's impetuous action i wonder how you manage that miss jamison she inquired i have been trying to make friends with our little french hostess ever since my meeting with her and she would have nothing to do with me you seem not to have noticed her and she has given her confidence to you still holding the little french girl's hand nora jamison nodded you will find i am a kind of pied piper mrs clark 
I had always nursed children before I began war work and am especially fond of them. Sonya shook her head. It is Peter Pan I thought of when I first saw you. I wonder if you are one of the lucky persons who never grow up. I've an idea you will be a great help to us when we finally reach Germany. We don't want the German children to think of us as ogres, and one wonders what stories their parents may now be telling them of our American soldiers. Then, so many things distracted Sonia Clark's attention that she thought no more of the little deserted French girl until she and Bianca looked for her to say goodbye and found that the child had disappeared. End of chapter 3